So, to get the gist of what I'm hoping to teach this morning, now, the, uh, the young people, the youth are with us, so we'll catch you up in a minute, youth, but just to get the gist of what I want you to understand this morning, it's so important that you as teenagers and as adults, you realise that you're not just a bag of bones, organs, blood vessels and a brain. Okay, you're not walking around with just those things, all right? You are a spirit as well. You have a spirit, as well as all these other things that we can see. The thing that you can't see, which is probably more the real you, is your spirit, okay? Now, that is an important thing to remember. And in the message this morning, it's important to realise what is or isn't happening in your spirit that makes all the difference, okay? So I just want you to remember that. You're not just a bag of bones with a brain. You have a spirit, and it's what is happening in your spirit that makes all the difference. All right. Um, so, just to catch you up, for those who haven't been there for a few weeks, we've been talking about prayer. And firstly, we talked about how your prayers help. Your prayers help you, and your prayers help others too. Okay? That's the first important message. The second is, you need the prayers of others. So not only do your prayers help you, you need people praying for you too. Sometimes you need the prayers of many. Okay? We learn that from the Bible. Your prayers help. Silent prayers, out loud prayers, quiet, you know, quiet prayers with you, on your own or with others. Long prayers, short prayers, quick psh, arrow help me prayers. Prayers that are well thought out, maybe. All your prayers help. Thirdly, we learn that it's not just good to do prayers that are shopping. A shopping list of, God, I need this, I need that, someone else needs that. You also need, as well as shopping, it's important that you also spend some time stopping. Jesus taught you need to get alone with your father in secret and pray with him. There are times when you can come and ask, which is good. Jesus taught us, didn't he? Ask, seek and knock, and you shall receive, the door will be open. So we asked, we're asked to ask. But at the same time, your heavenly father wants you also to stop. Ask yourself, do I pray because I want something, or do I pray because I want someone? Meaning God. So there's times when we ask, and there's other times, like a weaned child, not screaming and wanting food, but just being still. And we also learn that, as just like Jesus, and just like John who laid his head on Jesus' chest, we also pray from a position where we are in between the shoulders of God. We can pray like that. So no wonder Jesus spent a lot of time on his own praying for hours sometimes because he's in the chest of the Father and so are we. Okay, but today we're going to be talking more about prayer and I want to tell you about the power twins of prayer. We've got some twins, haven't we? Yeah. Twins in the service. I want to tell you about the power twins of prayer. What do I mean by power twins? Well, I heard a preacher once say the power twins of walking with God are patience and faith. Those two together are really powerful. Well, I think I've discovered another set of power twins, this time when it comes to prayer. Okay? So, anyone like to guess what might be the power twins of prayer? Any idea? I don't say faith and patience, although they would be good. But any power twins? Perseverance, yeah, I think that was a good one. Not the one I've got, but that is a good one, isn't it? Persistence, perseverance. Listening. Oh, very important when it comes to prayer. Prayer is not just you talking, is it? Actually, a lot of prayer should be about you listening to what God is saying to you. Okay, but those aren't the ones that I've discovered. Okay, so 
Let's see if you can uh, redeem yourselves from last week because I only had that one piece of chocolate and that was to Wendy, I think, wasn't it, last week? So see if you can redeem yourselves. All right. Uh, There's a scripture in the Bible where Paul says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says three things. And he says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Can you remember what the three things were? Giving thanks. Wendy, you're on fire again. Sorry, I should have bought you flowers, shouldn't I? Yeah. There's something, something, and giving thanks. Giving thanks when? In all circumstances. Okay, Wendy's helped you out now. So what's the other two? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Can you remember? Praise. Uh, Petition. Well, yes and no. Um, We'll go there, shall we? put you out of your misery although you're not miserable today but um, we'll put you out of uh, your wondering go to 1 Thessalonians 5 16 to 18 and call out for me what we've got there I'll put the one that Wendy has discovered already giving thanks give in thanks in I'm really slowing you down all circumstances come uh, run out of space. Circumst. Okay, what else have we got, Maynard? Rejoice, rejoice, always. Yeah. Pray continually. Those are the three things that, uh, that Paul says. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay? So can you spot the power twins yet? Can you spot any power twins? Rejoice and... Well, prayer is in the middle, isn't it? So the power twins of prayer are rejoicing always and giving thanks in all circumstances. I'll explain a little bit more to you in a minute. However, what is God's will for you in Christ Jesus? What is God's will for you in Christ Jesus? To be rejoicing always, praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances. Okay? Does God want you to be rejoicing sometimes? No, always. Even Ukrainian Christians right now, does God want them to be rejoicing always? Okay, sure. All right. Find out, shall we? Does God want you to be praying only when you feel like it? Or when you need something? No, praying continually. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Does God want you to be giving thanks only in good circumstances? No, in all circumstances. So how much rejoicing, praying and thanksgiving did you do this week? Not enough. Not enough? Is God expecting too much of you, Mike? No? You say that confidently. Is God expecting too much of you to be like that all the time? No, you say. Is the Apostle Paul, who wrote this scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is he living in a place called Cloud Cuckoo Land? You ever been there? Is Paul living in Cloud Cuckoo Land? No. Doesn't he know how, what real life is really like? Doesn't he know what real life is really like? Surely Paul doesn't understand how busy and difficult your life can be. Surely he doesn't. 
Surely Paul would cut the Ukrainian Christians some slack right now as they're in a bunker somewhere or under a multi-story car park hiding from missiles. Well, you don't have to turn there, but can I quickly read to you Paul's summary of his own life? Okay? It's in 2 Corinthians 11, if you want to make a note of it. He says this, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's 39 lashes. Five times he's received those 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. And they left him for dead, didn't they? But miraculously he got up. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So did Paul know what it's like to have a difficult, dangerous, and busy life? Absolutely. And yet he was convinced that as Christians, he and we should be rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances, for that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Perhaps we can easily understand the praying part for Paul, can't we? I mean, if you're in circumstances like Paul, you can imagine praying a lot, can't you? But the bit about rejoicing always and giving thanks in all circumstances too, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? Let alone to do once you get up to once you go to bed, and even then, maybe when you're asleep. But from Scripture, can we know if Paul actually practiced what he preached? Can you remember a time when Paul practiced what he preached? Can you remember? There's a chocolate in it for you. He did, didn't he? Here we go. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. First young person to find it gets the chocolate. Well, how do we define young, Johan? Oh, below? <laughs> Uh, that is true. Okay. It says in Acts 16, verse 22, Paul and Silas have just delivered a woman from being demonized. Now, evil spirits exist. People still suffer from demonization. Okay. However, her slave owners are now causing a fuss. They've set her free, but now she can't predict the future. So they're causing a fuss. In verse 22, it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, that doesn't mean that they were attacked by Rod Stewart and Rod Hull with emu. They were beaten by rods, with rods, sorry. Okay. No, these rods that they were beaten with would have been long, stiff sticks. Now, has, ever, has anyone ever hit you as hard as they could with a stick? Ow. Even once. I mean, my, my son's really good at doing that tea towel thing. Where you go, and it really stings, doesn't it? If you just get just touched with the end of a tea towel. 
Can you imagine being beaten and stripped and beaten with rods? Now, when I was in the police, we regularly trained by hitting each other. Yeah. Well, when, when I first joined the police, they gave you a little wooden truncheon, about that long. It felt like it was made of balsa wood, and we had a special pocket in our horrible woolen trousers uh, that, that kind of hid this truncheon. But then they swapped it for a long plastic baton, about that long, about doesn't it, a foot and a half long or something like that. And then they swapped it for an asp. You know what an asp is? It's that retractable kind of metal thing that you flick out. Yeah, or, or a snake. Yeah, this was probably stung like a snake. But part of our training was we were to have pads like this uh, on our arms and our legs and for us to practice kicking each other and then whacking each other high and low with our, with our sticks. And even though we had pads, it still stung a little bit, particularly if they came round the pad a bit. And some people went home with bruises and welts after training. But can you think of it being beaten, stripped and beaten with these rods? Ouch. And to be, add insult to injury, they'd done nothing wrong, had they? They'd helped someone. And here they are being stripped and beaten, beaten with rods. And it says in verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were taken to hospital? No. Sent home to heal up? No. What, they done? what happened to them? They were thrown into prison. It would be bad enough, wouldn't it, to be severely beaten with rods, which would be more than enough to make us angry and miserable and angry and bitter. But to be thrown into prison after, after being beaten up, especially a dark, stinky, rat-infested 2,000 years ago cell, would have probably been the last straw for most of us, wouldn't it? They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So not only are they in a prison cell with a lot of pain from their beaten up bodies and rats and others, other prisoners poo and wee for company as well, they are chained up in stocks, probably unable to move much and most likely not able to attend to their wounds. If that were you, how would you be feeling right then? Angry? Miserable? Abandoned by God? Hateful to whoever did this to you? Fearful? Totally and utterly fed up? Maybe you can't think much because of all the pain you're in. Would you be praying? If, you, if you're a believer, yeah. Probably if you're an unbeliever, yes. Most, most unbelievers actually admit to, don't they, of praying at some time in an awful situation. What would your prayers sound like? Get me out of here. Get me out of here. God, help. Please rescue me. What might be the last thing you'd be thinking of doing right there? Giving thanks, Giving thanks and rejoicing. That would be the, totally the last things, wouldn't it, on your mind? Okay which is strangely the two things that Paul declares are God's will for us in Christ Jesus. So far we've heard Paul talk the talk, haven't we? And always about rejoicing and giving thanks and praying. But now let's see if Paul actually does what he preaches, shall we? What did they do? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were the real deal, weren't they? Yeah. 
They really were beaten and flogged severely. They really were covered in cuts and bruises and aches and pains. They really were imprisoned in a dank cell and chained in stocks. And yet, in the worst of moments, we still find them doing what is God's will for them. And for you, and for me. They were rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Like a pair of Christian ninjas. Let's read that again. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. What do you think the other prisoners thought of Paul and Silas? Yeah, shut up, I want to go to sleep, or you're insane. They probably thought they were crazy. When I used to do, when I was a sergeant, I used to do custody duty and look after prisoners in cells. And prisoners would bang their heads against the door, kick the door, bash the door, shout abuse, tear up their, their, their bedding. They try and scratch graffiti on the walls and even smooth their own poo on the walls as well. But I never heard anyone singing hymns to God. <laughs> okay. Let's read what happens next to our crazy duo, shall we? Verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Not so insane now, are they? Paul and Silas could have thrown a massive strop, couldn't they? Which would have certainly been understandable and would have made total sense to the ordinary person, wouldn't it not? But the trouble is, Paul and Silas were not ordinary people. They're born-again, Holy Spirit-filled Christians. Why do you think it's God's will for Christians to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances? Because Christians are not ordinary. Christians are people who are in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ Jesus... You are never alone, and you have the Holy Spirit in your spirit. Nothing is ever hopeless in the company of the Holy Spirit. Even when you're surrounded by hate, Holy Spirit can shed abroad his love in your heart, can't he? In the midst of the saddest of situations, Holy Spirit's joy can rise up and be your strength, can't it? If you're in Christ Jesus, your circumstances are never, ever hopeless. With him, all things are possible. Because of the God of the impossible, he's with you. He's even in you. Behave ordinarily, and you can expect to receive or see the ordinary. But behave, when Christians behave extraordinarily, they can expect the extraordinary. For instance, to hate your enemies is normal, isn't it? It's natural. But to obey Jesus' command to love your enemies and to forgive them and pray for them is supernatural. To hate your enemies is natural, but to love them, pray for them, and do good to them is supernatural. And to act supernaturally is to see God's supernatural in return. What happened to Paul and Silas? They saw the earthquake. But probably more important than that, is they were released from prison and the jailer, seeing how they behaved, was saved, wasn't he? He put his faith in Jesus, not, not just him, his whole family as well. When you behave supernaturally, you can expect the supernatural of God. 
to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, especially when you don't feel like doing it, is being supernatural. And according to 2 Corinthians 9.8, when you become a cheerful giver to God, God loves a cheerful giver, it says, doesn't it? When you cheerfully give to God in this way, it says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Is that what Paul and Silas experienced? As they prayed and rejoiced in that horrible, dank cell with beaten and bruised bodies. No wonder to be always rejoicing, praying and giving thanks is God's will for you. Now you might be thinking, how come Paul and Silas can do it? But the idea of rejoicing, praying and giving thanks seems so far off my reality, especially the way I often feel. Well, do you know that any given moment a Christian's mind has two choices? We have studied this before, but turn to Romans 8. How can this be possible? We know super-Christian ninjas like Paul and Silas, this was absolutely possible. But for you, for me, the way I feel sometimes, how can this be possible? Well, Romans 8, verse 5. The Christian's mind has two main choices. It says, Romans 8, verse 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Now, what is your flesh? It's your selfish nature. It's the body and mind part of you that loves sinning. It's the part that lusts, grumbles, wants to retaliate, not to forgive and seek revenge. That's your flesh. That's, that's what his nature is. What would Paul and Silas's flesh be desiring when they were arrested, stripped, beaten and imprisoned? Certainly not rejoicing and singing and praying and giving thanks. When you become a Christian, sadly, your flesh doesn't change. You still desire sin. You're still selfish. Okay? But the part of you that does change is your spirit which is what we were talking about earlier, wasn't it? You're not just a bag of bones and a brain walking around. You have a spirit. At the point of your repentance and faith in Jesus, suddenly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, your spirit becomes cleansed from sin, renewed and now filled with the Holy Spirit. Your spirit comes alive to a new living relationship with God because your spirit is now in union with God's spirit. It's a miracle. Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So what two choices does a Christian mind have at any one moment? To set the mind on the flesh or to set the mind on the Spirit? Okay, To listen to the flesh or listen to the Spirit? To yield to the flesh or the Spirit? Which way were Paul and Silas's minds set? The spirit, weren't they? They were just human beings like you and I, but they chose to set their minds in the spirit. Let's read on. Verse 6. Paul says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. What did Paul and Silas receive? 
They received life and peace, didn't they, for themselves, but also for the jailer and his family. That's what happens when you act supernaturally, when you set your mind on the Spirit. Find yourself rejoicing instead of moaning. Okay. Verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So a Christian cannot do the will of God if their mind is set on the flesh. And what is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. You cannot do that. The mindset and the flesh cannot do the will of God. As a Christian whose mind is set on the flesh, they cannot rejoice, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. If that's the case, what's the cure? What's the way forward for someone whose mind is set on the flesh who cannot do that? What's the way forward? To set their mind on the Spirit. Not to listen to the flesh, but set their mind on the Holy Spirit inside them instead. For example, if a Christian cannot forgive someone, what is their mind set on? Or what is their mind being governed by? Their flesh. What is the way forward for them to move in forgiveness? To set their mind on the Spirit instead. It's a choice. Listen to Paul's warning in verse 8. Okay, This is what happens if you don't. Set your mind on the Spirit. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, which is sad, isn't it? You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Does the Spirit of God live in you? If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, which is true, isn't it? Our bodies do want to sin still. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If you are born again, there is someone in you that is always rejoicing, always praying, always giving thanks in all circumstances. Just like you and I, Paul and Silas, their bodies were subject to death and its fleshy desires they would have been subject to the same feelings as you and I. But because they had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and they set their mind on the Spirit, they ended up singing and praying. Out came rejoicing, praying and thanksgiving, even in the worst of circumstances. So from what Paul is saying, it seems imperative that a Christian is able to discern between their flesh and their spirit. You need to be able to discern so that you can set your mind on one or the other. Now, let's do a quick experiment. I want to ask you this morning, and don't think too hard about it, what is your flesh saying right now? What noise is your flesh making right now? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs> Heating's just gone off. Some people are going, phew. Okay, coffee. All right. My answer, if I ask my flesh, what, is my flesh, what noise is my flesh making now? Probably made like a uh, sound, maybe. Uh, now, let me ask you this, okay? What sound is your spirit making right now? Mm -hmm. What sound is your spirit making right now? Now, for me, it would be a woo kind of noise. All right, yes. My flesh might be going, uh, but my spirit is going, woo. Okay? I asked someone the other day, and they said, Fizzing. fizzing, fizzing, fizzing. 
Jesus did say, didn't he, that when the Holy Spirit comes in, he will well up inside you like a living spring of water bubbling up. All right, very quickly, let's finish with this. Even before the first believers were born again and received the Holy Spirit, who was the first person to have Jesus inside them? Before believers were carrying the Holy Spirit in their spirits, who was the first person who had Jesus inside them? Mary, yeah. There you go, Ed. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think it's in Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 1 quickly. Was it a trick question? I think it's Matthew. It might be Luke, but we'll go to Matthew first. It's the bit where Mary sings. Matthew 1, verse 46. You may not have to tell me if I'm right. Okay, turn to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Okay. Yes, Mary was the first person, wasn't she, to actually have Jesus inside. She was in, she, Jesus was in her womb, but obviously close to her spirit. But uh, we don't obviously carry Jesus um, in that way, but we have the Holy Spirit inside our spirits when we become born again. And this is Mary's reaction to carrying Jesus. Mary said in verse 46, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Mary knew she had a spirit, and Mary knew her spirit was rejoicing because of the presence of God inside her. And now Christians carry the spirit of Jesus in their spirits. So your spirits rejoice too. There's a part of you that is rejoicing continually. Now here's where the power twins of prayer come into play. Okay? What I've noticed, see how rejoicing always and giving thanks in all circumstances is either side of praying continually. Now what I've, having had a bit of a health scare recently, you know that I give thanks every time I go to the toilet. All right? <laughs> And even 10 minutes after going to the toilet, I'm still going, Father, thank you so much that I can go to wee. I'm so grateful. Even 10 minutes afterwards, okay? Now, what I've noticed is that the more often, the more frequently I give thanks, the more I realise that there's rejoicing going on in me. It's true. Or the more often I go to wee, was that? Yeah, no, I go to wee normally now. But the more often I give thanks, in between and during and after and before sometimes, I've found that I've become more aware of my spirit and of the rejoicing that's going on. It's almost as if giving thanks focuses the mind or is a gateway or some kind of trigger to being aware of the Holy Spirit inside us. Thanksgiving causes us to be more aware of the Holy Spirit and our rejoicing inside of us. And so the more I become aware of this rejoicing, the more I find myself in conversation in prayer with God. And the more I find myself in conversation with prayer and God, the more grateful I feel. And the more grateful I feel, the more I'm feeling this rejoicing going on in my spirit. And you know what rejoicing does? It enables me to kind of engage in prayer with the Father. And so engaging in prayer with the Father helps me to feel more grateful. And you know what grateful does? It makes you feel aware of the rejoicing that's going on in your spirit. You know what rejoicing does? Well, you get the picture, don't you? So here's your homework for today. is to work out... What will help you remember to give thanks? Giving thanks in all circumstances. What will help you 
to remember to begin to give thanks more and more throughout the day. Because the more and more you remember to give thanks, the more and more you will notice that your spirit is rejoicing. And the more you notice that your spirit is rejoicing, the more you'll find yourself in conversation with the, God, with the Father throughout the day. And the more you're in conversation with the Father, the more grateful you feel. And the more grateful you feel, can you see? So that's your homework, just to go home and work out, maybe ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what can I do during the day that will really remind me regularly, frequently, to be giving thanks? Or, I could just be making it all up. But you won't know until you try. And even if I am making it all up, at least you'll be giving thanks more. One of those things on the board, which is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus.